0: We continue this Sunday in our summer quest to look at all of the minor prophets majoring on the minors, we're calling this. We've looked at Hosea and Joel, Amos and Obadiah, and we turn today to the little book of Jonah. I hope that some of you are taking some time to read through the uh, minor prophets. Jonah's book is four chapters. You can read it in about 10 minutes. It's worth looking at. If you don't know the story um, I was I reread the whole thing this morning and just fascinated by this story. It's a wonderful tale um, with lots of truth in it. And so I'd encourage you. We're not going to read the whole text today. Um, I'd encourage you to do so uh, when you get home and see what else you might learn by reading that text. So we look at Jonah today. The story of Jonah and the whale is a favorite. It's probably featured in every children's picture Bible book that's ever been published. But the story of Jonah and the dog gadol, that is big fish, as it's said in Hebrew, is a story for adults. When we interviewed to become your pastor 22 years ago, Jonah came up in the interview. The search committee needed to explore our hermeneutic, which is the fancy word for how we read the Bible. And so they ask about Jonah, and I remember the inflection in the voice of one of the members of the search committee when she said, with a little skeptical condescension, um, do you believe that Jonah was really swallowed by a fish? And then she said, you know, we don't teach the story of Jonah to our children because we don't believe Jonah was really swallowed by a fish. And I said that I did believe in teaching the story of Jonah to children and that my two sons, who were two and four at the time, could understand everything that they needed to know about Jonah at the time. Just like they could understand that Matt turned into a fire truck on his way to breakfast this morning. That's the plot of one of our favorite children's books. And I said, as soon as Jackson and Bennett are old enough to understand that a literal boy named Matt did not really turn into a literal fire truck on on his way to eat his literal breakfast, that we will be ready to have more conversation with them about Jonah. So let's have that conversation today, okay? The prophet Jonah is mentioned in the second book of Kings, which places him in the 8th century before Jesus, But scholars tell us that close scrutiny of the language of the book of Jonah places the writing of that text probably after the Babylonian exile. Now, I keep telling you about the Babylonian exile, 587. So the writing of the book of Jonah was probably the 5th century or the 4th century before Christ. And scholars tell us that it is likely that some of the basic plot line of the narrative of Jonah is borrowed from a legend from the ancient world. Yes, the Baptist minister said, legend from the ancient world. So let me put all of my cards out on the table for you today and expose my full liberal hermeneutic and tell you that I believe the book of Jonah is a grand true story that we ought to teach our children and then reteach our youth and adults. But let me tell you that I believe the story, is, uh, the story of Jonah is one that was created by some creative and wise writer from ancient Israel who had an interest in teaching theology and the practice of religion. As all but the most conservative interpreters believe, this book probably pulls together a legend that was known in the ancient world. This legend shows up in other religious traditions and their stories So most, except the most conservative scholars, believe that the writer of Jonah pulled together this legend about a man swallowed by a fish, and that writer attached the name of Jonah, an 8th century prophet, to the story. And the scholars believe that that writer did so in order to teach the people of Israel an important lesson about God and repentance and mercy. It's all true. The story was written as a great allegory of faith. The name Jonah in Hebrew means dove. It's sometimes used as a symbol for Israel, for the people of God. So Jonah, the dove, represents Israel. And Jonah, Israel, was called by God. But Israel did not want to share her elite status as the chosen people of God did not want to admit that maybe God could love everyone else as much as God loved Israel. So Israel went in the opposite direction. God called Jonah to go to Nineveh. And Jonah lived in the northern kingdom of Israel, the northern kingdom which was destroyed by the Assyrians in the year 721. Israel destroyed by the Assyrians in 721, and where was Nineveh? You guessed it. It was the capital city of Assyria. Historian Gwendolyn Leake notes that Nineveh, with its diverse population, was one of the most beautiful cities in the ancient Near East, with its gardens, temples, and splendid palaces. Some believe Nineveh was actually the location for the famed Hanging Gardens of Babylon, one of the seven wonders of the ancient world. So Jonah knew Nineveh, as did all of the Israelites, and they hated that city and its people. The word Nineveh might be derived from the word Nin, which was the name of a pagan goddess, Nineveh was a well-known center for the worship of the goddess Ishtar. So not only was Nineveh a military and political enemy, it was a pagan place as well. Did I say they knew the name Nineveh? They knew the Ninevites, and they hated the Ninevites as their enemies. So God sends Jonah to preach to Nineveh, and Jonah is not willing What might happen if Jonah preached the love of God to the pagans? Might they repent and God forgive them and welcome them and love them? And who wants that? Jonah did not. So Jonah goes down to Joppa, which is near modern-day Tel Aviv, and he finds a ship that's headed to Tarshish. Now, it's not exactly clear where Tarshish is, but there is evidence that this might have been a town on the Iberian Peninsula. Those of you who walked Spain with us a few weeks ago, the Iberian Peninsula is Spain. It's possible that Tarshish was on the eastern shore of Spain, which would be the farthest possible point from the western shore of Israel, Joppa and Tarshish. Tarshish need not be a literal place. The point is, Jonah was going as far and in the opposite direction as he could get from Nineveh, which was farther east, as far as he could go from where God wanted him to go. So, Jonah goes out on the sea, and a great storm arises, and the sailors, who were all pagans, believe the gods are angry with them, and they want to know who God is angry with, and they're going to throw him into the sea to calm the gods down. And they wake up Jonah, who is sleeping in the bottom of the boat, and Jonah says, it's me. God's angry with me. I'm going in the wrong direction. Throw me into the sea. And he has to convince the pagan sailors to do this, but they finally toss him overboard, and lo and behold, the water's calm and the sea's smooth. And the pagan sailors repent And believe in Jonah's God. The pagans have proven more faithful than the dove. More faithful than Israel. Now this is a story that gets repeated over and over in the Old Testament and in the New Testament. Who are Jesus' favorite enemies? The Israelites, the Jews who thought they had it made, and Jesus was always telling these stories of the pagans who were more faithful than the ones in Israel. It was an offensive tale, and here it is in Jonah's story. Then Jonah's out there floating in this calm sea until so God sends a fish along to swallow Jonah, and he spends three days and three nights in the belly of that whale or that fish, trying to get his act together. In Jonah's hymn of praise, which is recorded in the second chapter, Jonah names his experience as being like cast into Sheol, sometimes translated hell. As the Apostles' Creed will later declare, that Jesus descended into Sheol, and on the third day he rose again from the dead. On Jonah's third day, the fish spat him out right onto the shore, right back where he started from. And so Jonah called, God calls Jonah a second time, and Jonah responds. He's still reluctant. He still doesn't want to go, but he goes to Nineveh, and he starts preaching. He's reluctant, but he's preaching to the Ninevites. And lo and behold, there is a revival like there has never been a revival before. Everybody gets saved, even the king, who tells the people they have to repent, so maybe God will change god's mind and not destroy us so the people repent the people of nineveh repent and jonah is ticked off right jonah's ticked off that all these people have repented And this is what Jonah says, and here's the center of the story. When Nineveh repents, we read, but this was very displeasing to Jonah, and he became angry. And he prayed, O Lord, is not this what I said to you? Is this not why I fled to Tarshish at the beginning? For I knew, I knew you would do this. I knew you are a God gracious and merciful, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love. Please do not tell me the God of the Old Testament is a God of wrath and the God of New Testament is a God of love. Jonah knew that God could forgive even the Ninevites. God is a God abounding in steadfast love and ready to relent from punishing. And now, O oh Lord, please take my life from me, for it is better for me that I die than I live. Jonah would rather have died than to believe that God could love the Ninevites. I know some people like that. Do you? Is the story of Jonah true? One that we need to teach our children, you better believe it is. Because there are some people today who need to be able to believe that God actually loves Democrats. Can you believe it? That God actually loves gay people. That God actually loves people who use they, them pronouns. There's some people who need to believe that God actually loves people who are concerned by recent events by the Supreme Court, not celebrating them. Some people can't really believe that God really loves Muslims or Russians or conservatives or communists. So maybe we are more like Jonah than we want to believe And maybe Jonah's story is a Christian story, too, criticizing us as much as ancient Israel. Are we reluctant, are you reluctant, to get to know the poor, to welcome the immigrant, to reach out to the other because you might just find out they're really just like us? Are we like Jonah? Reluctant to go because we don't want to meet a God who is bigger than our biggest prejudices. I think we still need to teach the story of Jonah to our children. What about you? May it be so.
1: It's one of the most honest, real, and hopeful verses in all of the Bible, and it's found in one of the most confusing, complex, and baffling books in the Bible. God asks the prophet Jonah to go do this thing. Tell the people of Nineveh that they need to repent. Jonah resists with every fiber of his being. Finally, relenting, Jonah delivers the message. The people listen the first time. People never do that. And they do as the prophet has instructed. And then Jonah gets mad at God because the people actually listened. The people never do that. And they responded to what the prophet had instructed them to do. People never do that. Now most prophets would have been jumping up and down for joy. But it would seem that Jonah was a prophet with an attitude problem. And that makes me feel a little better about myself because sometimes I have an attitude problem too. But here's the best line, maybe in all of the Bible. God changed God's mind that may be the best news I've ever heard because if God can change God's mind I can change mine when I stroll back through the paths of my own life it's shocking how much I've changed and I hope I'm not nearly done yet changing that is I remember praying for and worrying about all the people in the world that didn't know about Jesus. Well, if they didn't know about Jesus, they were probably okay for eternity, that is. But if they had heard about Jesus and didn't accept him in their hearts, then they would forever burn in the fiery lake of hell. And while that seemed terrible and horrible, and frankly rather extreme, and a bit unfair, it was just the way it was. Thank God I changed my mind about that. I remember using a word out of my own mouth as a child that started with the letter N. Thank God I changed my mind about that. I remember believing that being homosexual was a sin and honestly an abomination. It wasn't natural, I argued. Thank God I changed my mind about that. I wonder what is it that I need to have a change of mind about now and a change of heart We become so fixed in our understandings and in our beliefs, rigid even. Where do I need to soften? Where do I need to listen more? In what situations am I being called to reconsider, open my mind, expand my views? Who and what are calling me to think new thoughts and dream new dreams But let me caution us all. If changing my mind about something ends up excluding and drawing my lines more narrowly, if changing my mind about something is prompted and motivated by fear, if changing my mind about something causes animosity or hate, if changing my mind about something squelches grace, then it's highly likely that my mind is being changed away from God's way and not towards it. You see, when God changes God's mind, it is a change toward mercy, inclusion, and love. God did not rain down calamity on the Ninevites, but instead saw the people's need for grace and God enacted grace upon grace upon grace. For that is always God's mindset. So whatever change of mind and change of heart you need to make, you can rest assured it needs to be a change that softens and opens your own heart to love. It needs to be a change that welcomes and does not exclude. It needs to be a change that involves forgiveness and not revenge. But the truth is, changing one's mind the way God changes God's mind is hard and humbling work. And some people will never understand you. And some people will condemn you. And some people will think less of you. And some people will cut you off, and some people will judge you, and some people will question you. Because inclusion and welcome and forgiveness and grace don't seem to be the way of this world, but be God's grace anyway. It must break God's heart to see how God's own people treat each other when God has so clearly shown us how to have a change of mind and a change of heart. I look back on that young girl that sometimes used the N-word. And I look back on that teenager who worried about the Jews. And I look back on that young adult seminarian who thought that being gay was a tragic sin And I feel sorry for her. She lived in a constant state of fear and judgment. But thank God, along the way, professors and ministers and friends nudged her and pushed her and challenged her to change her mind to a way of welcome and affirmation and inclusion. And God, please don't let me go back. They helped me to get my mind more in line with God's mind. They helped me to move out of a fear-based theology and into a theology of love and grace, welcome and inclusion. But it does make you wonder, doesn't it? Let's say 30 years from now. How will I look back on a slightly past middle-aged woman and think, what took her so long to change her mind about that? Which causes us to ask in the present moment, how am I currently being closed-minded to the waves of God's grace right this very minute? Where am I still living in judgment of others? How am I missing the boat on inclusion? When can I more fully embrace enacting the love of God and the way of Jesus that makes the circle larger and less restrictive? How is fear still regulating my responses? Now Jonah's story ends rather abruptly with us not really knowing if Jonah ever comes around and changes his own mind about the Ninevites or about God. It's almost a bit of a comedy in the end, a tragic comedy where God prods Jonah a little bit with the whole bush and worm scene, pushing him to try and live into mercy more fully. And we never know if Jonah is able to change his mind or not. Does he continue to sit and pout and sulk about God's generous way of mercy? Or does he finally give in and join God in the exhilarating, humbling, and joyous opportunity of a change of mind and a change of heart? Well, if I can judge Jonah just a little bit, I'll be honest and say that my gut tells me that it's likely Jonah stays stuck in his own ways. I say that only because so many people seem to, seem to stay so stuck in fear and judgment and condemnation, and they're so reluctant to let God's way of mercy rule the day. Maybe I'm wrong. Maybe Jonah got on board. See what I did there? So let us follow God's lead. Let us have God's mindset. Grace within grace within grace. Inclusion within inclusion within inclusion. Love within love within love. Mercy within mercy within mercy. It will take practice. May it be so. Amen.